0: FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway, FIS's Freight and Commodity podcast. It is Wednesday, the 24th of March, uh, and I am... Joined today by Kerry, our FIS stalwart and head of uh, business development. Uh, But we also have a special guest, Mark Howarth, the CEO of Skytra, to look forward to after our usual market updates and news. So let's dive into what's happened this week in the wider world of news, go on to our main markets before our feature later on. Um, So what's happened this week? Exit polls predict that the Israeli election has ended in deadlock again. Uh, North Korea has conducted another rocket test. This is the first of President Biden's tenure. The EU is preparing to tighten vaccine exports to try to boost its internal vaccination program. US Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, vowed to revitalize NATO in a break with Trump-era rhetoric. The Suez Canal was blocked after a container ship ran aground. Turkish President Erdogan fired his central bank head after just four months in the job. Uh, the Biden administration has drawn up plans for a new $3 trillion of spending, and Saudi Arabia has proposed a ceasefire with Yemen. In terms of market settlements, Kerry, why don't we start with you on the freight and iron ore, and then we'll go on to the others. Absolutely. Well, the, on the freight indices,
1: the Cape Size 5TC is at 19,114 as of yesterday evening. That is up 1,840, or 10.6% on the week. The Panamax 4TC at 25,510, that's up 5,497 or 27.5% on the week. Um, So another remarkable week on the dry freight. Um, And the Panamaxes have consistently set the direction in the past month and the past weeks. And yesterday's in particular, Um, extraordinary moves are no exception. So let's start there. Uh, There was a ferocious push push north on the physical rates at the end of last week, with East Coast South America driving the action, sapping tonnage out of the Far East market as more owners ballasted, which drove up the rates for the pack rounds as well, and even taking tonnage off the continent. The North Atlantic market has been very firm as well, but this was arguably due to a lack of tonnage, not because the market was especially busy. Uh, And so at the start of this week came the first signs that the market would potentially take a pause. Indeed, Tuesday saw the first Panamax indices in the red for some time. Uh, given the extreme gains on paper in the past several weeks, this triggered a very sharp sell-off on the front end for the Panamax 4TC paper, with some seeing uh, some seemingly panicked selling at times, uh, seeing the April contract gap down by $3,625 yesterday to close at $22,875, and the Q3 dropping over $1,800 to close at 17125 The April has since recovered a touch this morning, and we can assume the paper likely overreacted yesterday, as despite the lower physical indices, it has to be said tonnage remains reasonably tight in the Atlantic, especially. So I think a collapse in physical rates at this time seems rather unlikely, but uh, watch the space. The sharp sell-off on the Panamax paper triggered the capes as well. And we saw the front month Cape 5TC trading down 2750 yesterday to close at 20750 leading Bleeding a bit further today, down a further 625 bucks this morning to trade at $20,125 value, according to the FIS Live app. The Cape physical market had, like the Panamax, been slowing a bit already, uh, with especially some flooding in Australia not helping matters. But it does seem that in this case, the tail might have been wagging the dog a bit. Uh, With a precipitous fall on paper yesterday, seeing owners in the Pacific hit a few of the lower bids, a C5 fixture was reported at $9.15 yesterday afternoon. Uh, While activity from Brazil has been a bit quieter with bids pulling all the way back to region $20 per ton on the C3 route, that's the Brazil-China route for April dates, it's also worth noting there are nowhere near as many balusters right now as there were back, let's say, in the February correction. So the physical may not have a huge amount of room to fall. Uh, and it's also worth noting that there is a key support level coming up with the 20-day moving average and the Bollinger midpoint on the technicals uh, at region $19,000 on that April 5TC contract. So watch to see if we break that. On the iron ore, meanwhile, the 62% FE Platts index was at 156.35 yesterday. That's down $9.95, or 5.9% on the week. While the metal bulletin 65% FE content uh, iron ore index was at 184 yesterday. That's down $8.50, or 4.4% on the week. Iron ore saw a tumble on the physical, as indicated by those indices, early this week. Uh, That was over China's demand outlook after China reportedly imposed fresh production cuts on steel mills to tackle pollution. This latest round of output cuts will see most mills cut capacity by 30 percent to 50 percent, supposedly until the end of 2021, putting a dent in the already fragile demand for iron ore, which came under pressure as port stockpiles had swelled to the highest level since May 2019 last week. Uh, Chinese steel prices, however, rallied to record levels with the price of uh, HRB 420 millimeter diameter rebar jumping to a three-year high of 4,793 RMB on Monday. Meanwhile, Tangshan billet steel prices also hit a 12-year high at 4,620 RMB per metric ton. Uh, steel prices are expected to rise further from here, according to my steel, as China heads into its construction season in April. These mixed signals have helped the physical market find some stability today, and one could argue that the physical was merely catching up to the already steeply discounted April futures. Uh, Those have been trading at 155.85 today, Um, again, according to that FIS Live platform. And the 62.65 spread, I mentioned this the other week, Um, it is a space that everyone's been watching, and it continues to widen. That 65% is holding up much better against concerns on further Chinese environmental controls driving demand for a higher-grade iron ore.
0: Cool. Thank you, Kerry. And to continue the theme of prices coming off, uh, it is the same story in the oil and products market. Uh, these are Tuesday 16th versus yesterday, Tuesday 23rd values for front-month futures. Brent closing 62.28 yesterday, according to FIS evening report. That's down 8.86% from last week. The Rotterdam 3.5%, the high-sulfur fuel oil, 344.80, down 8.7%. The Sing 3.80, down 8.58% to 358.05. Uh, on the 0.5%, that's the very low-sulfur fuel oils. Rotterdam, 4.40.34, down 8.4%, and Sing 0.5% uh, at 4.59.59, down 8.6% as well. Large movements uh, down on all those products and the crude itself. The Hi-Fi's... Not as bad for the Rotterdam high five. Uh, it has dropped now below the hundred level. We were 103 last week. Now 96, down 6.8 percent. And the Sing high five 111 down to 102, down 8.1 percent. So we have seen quite a move down on those products, uh, for especially on the crew contract, which happened on Thursday, where we we broke through four support levels uh, and losing over eight percent in the biggest, you know, huge correction for the market. Um, There were rumors that a lot of this was started off by a large uh, position being closed uh, in the market, which has obviously then led to a lot of um, further movement down because people had previously stocked up on buy positions for for hedging as these price starts to move up. There was nothing there left to support it, hence the collapse uh, through those support levels. Um, But we've seen those futures rise quite aggressively uh, since the start of 2021. And it seems now that this... Brought the the futures market more in line with what's happening in the physical. So a multitude of things which have have caused this kind of collapse a bit out of nowhere, and it has caught the market a bit by by surprise. Uh, we do have an OPEC meeting on the first of April, and it will definitely be interesting to see where we are and where the arguments and what points have been put forward. Especially after the last OPEC meeting, uh, where we had the rollover of those those cuts. Um, it is. After that fall, I guess a bit more sensitive in terms of are we going to be pushing up to, to those 100 levels where all those news stories have been saying that, oh, we're going to be a $100 all again and everything else. Um, but so definitely something to look forward to uh, and to watch closely for the first of next month. Both benchmarks touched their lowest level since February on the Tuesday and falling nearly 15% from their recent highs uh, earlier this month. Uh, a stronger dollar as well has kind of weighed on those pricings. Uh, the US dollar index rallied to 92.33 in the afternoon trading. It's as as a four-month high seen uh, earlier in March. Um, a lot of this has been driven European lockdowns, a problem with the EU vaccine rollouts. We noted that in the start with our, our brief news overview. So a multitude of things coming together on it, but uh, it seems more of a, a correction of, Of lots of things that it doesn't seem to be something more of a longer term solution this is going to come off more significantly but loads of factors coming in we're back back in line more with where the physical market is but going forward it definitely does seem to have slightly lower prices and all those stories of a hundred dollar oil maybe have to put onto a the shelf to uh, gather some more dust before you <laughs> <Yeah, back. exactly. laughs> in a couple more months' time. <laughs> uh, to that's finish off the, the review of markets, uh, just to go touch on to tanker market. Uh, TC2 up 8%, 158.33 closing. tc five one two nine spot spot 29 up 16%. Uh, there's also the TD3C, that's the VLs up to, we're above 30 now, 3204 up 12.1%. Uh, TD5 TD25 has been the fall of the week though down 29% 83 <laughs> 33 that's closing so we have seen kind of good support on the, uh, the TC5 market a uh, lot of runs driving the the NAMF imports into asia uh, TD25 has seen as we noted the the biggest drop of of the week and settling back to more average levels for this time um, after we had that spike that we noted in the podcast previously of the Texan freeze, or those, all that cold weather that they had, uh, which saw that spike in rates. Yeah. So we, we have dropped now back to kind of more normal levels. So that's the overview of our main markets. And we go on to our special feature. Kerry, introduce yes, our, our special guest. We have
1: talked a lot on this program in the past about uh, the extreme fluctuations in air travel this year. Um, And we've talked about it previously in the context of the massive changes in air freight pricing. But what about being able to track changes in air passenger prices? Um, And so to talk about that today, we've actually been lucky enough to have Mark Howard, the CEO of Skytra, the first, company to create a benchmarked air passenger index to track changes in the price of air passenger travel. Um, and, Mark, thanks for being with us today. Uh, good morning. Uh, thanks very much for the invitation. I understand that SkyTra has backing from one of the major manufacturers. Uh, that's Airbus, if I'm correct, right? Uh, yeah,
2: that's right. That's right. Um... Yeah, maybe I'd describe uh, you know, what, what we are and then sort of back, to, uh, back step from that into how we got uh, to where it is uh, today. Um, so we, as you said, we're a regulated uh, benchmark administrator uh, here in London. So we're regulated by the uh, UK FCA. We got our registration approval through at the tail end of last year. And as you say, we are a 100% uh, owned Airbus uh, subsidiary. But I think it's uh, key to point out the background of most of the people in the business is primarily in capital markets. And we've got a number of aviation sector specialists uh, working in the business as well, including uh, two of our colleagues who uh, come from Airbus and were the original progenitors of the idea within Airbus and took the original concept through uh, for SkyCha through into business plan development and investment case within Airbus and, and had uh, uh, that uh, led to Skytra being set up as the separate entity and separate business uh, here in London. And, uh, you know, the the, the regulated activity uh, allows us to offer the Skytra price indices, which are the regulated benchmarks. And we also have a, a business intelligence product uh, called AirTex, which is a uh, alternative data, big data set um, <clears throat> around the air travel business. And we're also building the elements of a, a futures market
1: as well. And that data set goes back quite a long way, am I right? That goes back, you said, I believe to
2: 2013 or? Yeah, some, some of it does. Yeah, I mean, the, the majority components and we're talking about really quite uh, significant pieces of data because we're, we're tracking more than 80% of the uh, worldwide ticket sales uh, each day. You know, That's something like uh, two and a half billion uh, 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 ticket transactions and we're tracking something like $20 mm-hmm. billion day offered prices and, and so we've built up to that volume over time so over the last uh two to three years you know we, we've got that kind of uh numbers into our big data set in the early years before that it's a you know it's not quite as big because of the business was getting built up but you can see that uh you know these these are enormous numbers that we are handling on a, on a daily basis absolutely
1: and very impressive too i for People that might be listening that, that are more layman in terms of in terms of the air travel industry, can you describe how you actually translate uh, the monitoring of those ticket sales into a price index and sure. how the index is, is expressed?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the business we're aiming to solve you know, three, I'd say, uh, broad uh, customer problems, uh, and the first is the uh, to provide actionable spot price information about the cost of air travel, which is our regulated indices. Those are the Skytra price indices, and they're immediately usable in a couple of ways. Uh, they give you um, uh, price intelligence in a particular market. So an airline can look at the Skytra index and it can make a decision. Well, if the Skytra index is saying that the average price of travel in Europe is uh, is 20 cents a kilometer and they're pricing at 18 cents or 22 cents, then they can make a decision uh, around that intelligence. So that's that's helpful. And it's also uh, directly usable in uh, air travel contracting. So, uh, between an airline and a a corporate travel buyer of size, somebody who's in the market and purchasing 10, 20, 50, 100 million dollars worth of air travel in a year. Uh, And this is the first time that uh, an external third party benchmark has been available to price those contracts and uh, move away from the sort of the existing regime, which is. A series of quite inefficient bilateral negotiations between uh, each airline and each each purchaser, and you can imagine a large energy purchaser um, uh, who is you know, sending people all over the world uh, to dig holes in the ground. You know those those people can't they can't do that by Zoom. You've got to get on a plane and, and go there and get you know get your shovel out. And exactly. uh, you know it, it, historically those those contracts would have been negotiated per, on a per airline basis and uh, individually priced, but. You can use the price indices as a a measure for that. So that's that's the sort of immediately usable part of it. And of course, then uh, a regulated benchmark uh, also forms one of the tools to be able to create uh, uh, hedging services for airlines to enable them to forward hedge their revenues, which is not something that's been able to reduce. This is exactly analogous. I'm sure all of your listeners are familiar with soft commodity market. This is exactly analogous to a forward grain sale uh, airlines are very familiar and used to being able to hedge their cost side and, and fuel and, yeah. and fX and so on never been a revenue tool so this this allows uh, that the benchmarks can feed into uh, a hedging tool uh, for airlines to hedge their revenues and our view is that that will be uh, enable them to start a virtuous uh, circle of uh, uh, better risk management leads to lower earnings volatility leads to improved balance sheet performance and should then dr- uh, drive down their cost of financing through an improvement in their credit ratings. Well, exactly.
1: It's everyone's dream, isn't it? To be able to, to hedge both your costs and your revenue at the same time, right? Sort of yeah, that's right. So, um, and, and is it the airlines then that you see as the core potential users for futures and options against the Skytra index? Um, who else do you see might, uh, might be
2: looking at this? Uh, so I have to give our standard disclaimer and say that you know we're we're a regulated benchmark provider. We're not a derivatives provider, so you know uh, uh, all derivatives conversations yeah, yeah, need to be had with your bank, etc., etc., etc. So <clears throat> but, you know it would be a test of suitability, but but our um, uh, goal here, our vision here, is to allow uh, airlines to uh, come into the market and uh, use those hedging tools for their forward. Uh, capacity and the natural buyers who are the, the corporate buyers who are talking about uh, to be able to come in and uh, are on the other side and uh, use either futures or options to provide price certainty in uh, future quarters going out one or two years of, of uh, forward travel. And we see most airlines sort of uh, hedging their, uh, the ones who are hedging their fuel are hedging out up to two years ahead on a on uh, a reducing percentage yeah. of a uh, position over uh, over time at the long data side might be you uh, know down at the 40 uh, percent level uh, and we expect that the interest in the revenue side will be sort of matching that profile yeah
1: you know, which makes sense, which makes sense mm-hmm. and it also strikes me that the uh, the SkyTrade indices will fit potentially uh, with other users with with users who may have plans for investments in aircraft or aircraft leasing is. Is that is that a use you have seen any interest in, or that you foresee as well?
2: It's it's possible. It's a, it's a, probably a, a slightly further away for a, for a leasing company uh, to come in and use the, the benchmarks directly. Uh, we we could definitely foresee um, leasing companies uh, potentially coming into the uh, the futures market because of course they're interested in guaranteeing some sort of price certainty around the the, the capacity that they're offering through their leased. Uh, Products. Um, uh, So, but we, you know, they're not. uh, To describe them, they're probably our second order users. If you like, our our primary users are going to be the direct providers and the direct consumers of air travel, and the the manufacturers and the leasers would be sort of a step behind that, um, and potentially might uh, come in for uh, just price contracting rather than full on hedging, or use both services together. uh, 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 to, to you know, to build to build up a, a, a risk profile that uh, follows across both the short-term positions that you might see in a uh, in a hedged market, and as I said, you know, typically out to a couple of years. But an aircraft is an asset you're buying for you know a new aircraft. You would typically look to that having a lifetime of something like 25 years. And so you know, a, a futures market, a 25-year future. Well, you know, it's a, it's a good ambition to have, isn't it? I'm not sure if it's in yeah, the. <laughs> Although you know, just to
1: tie this back to, for example, what we see in the in the sea freight market and the dry freight market um, for ocean freight, you know, I mean, people certainly do look, whilst well, not uh, twenty five years out, because that's also the, the roughly the lifespan of a of a, of a modern vessel. Um, you know, they they may certainly look, let's say, five years out on the futures, you know, to see yeah. how we're looking at the time that they're they're making those investments, and so that would seem to be a, another interesting tie-in. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, you did touch on this earlier, but I mean, you know, Skytrip provides the means, in effect, then for corporate travel managers, for example, to index
2: link their spend, right?
1: Yeah, um, and so there, there would seem to be a fairly big hedging opportunity there, I would think,
2: as well. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And again, you can see that in a in a, a multi-tiered approach, uh, a direct uh, index-linked price contract, which you 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 just have, you just have that sitting on your books. Um, if you've suddenly grown up to have a, a, a lot of those, a lot of that exposure across multiple providers, either as a, as a supplier or a consumer, then yes, you might want to take it on to the next level and, and start to hedge those positions out. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, and, and I guess lastly, uh,
1: you know, have you actually seen these, uh, the, the price fluctuate uh, with the extreme fluctuations in passenger travel um, linked to the changes and the lockdowns throughout the last, let's say, year, year and a half?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's quite you can see within our price indices and what we do is measure on a geographic basis. So we're measuring into Europe, into Asia, North America, and then the transatlantic, transpacific, and so on. So it's, there's a sort of geographic specificity to each of the indices that we measure and they're not quite the same. So um, in, within within Asia, for instance, domestic yeah. China, for instance, and uh, even within North America, uh, the volumes have gone up much more than they have in uh, Europe and so we're seeing the pricing perhaps uh, reflect that yeah um, but there's there's also a capacity can, uh, issue as well going on because uh, airlines have pulled capacity out of the marketplace so uh, yeah it's exactly. not it's not a single variable price movement you know it, the, the demand has got as has, has uh, obviously been uh, 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 very severely disrupted over the last 12 months but the capacity is not constant so um, you know, we, we, we see fluctuations and obviously we see a, a very noticeable uh, change in 12 months ago in March last year where the you know, initial lockdowns came in. Uh, but then, for instance, we see interest, odd, odd spikes where prices shot up uh, at that time because uh, all of a sudden capacity was very constrained and yet people were looking for repatriation, flights and emergency returns and so on. And, and the sort of pricing went up to reflect that. Uh, and then uh, we've seen... Perhaps more recently, we've seen uh, slightly lower pricing offered as uh, airlines, you know, begin to see the resurgent uh, resumption of travel and are encouraging people to come uh, and uh, take seats. But I think you know it is worth saying that uh, the 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 constraint is is uh, government restriction. Every time the restrictions get lifted, we see a surge in demand. You know, there's an absolute you know. uh, Huge pent up appetite and demand for people (laughs) to, to, you know, to get back and and travel and do business uh, and uh, and uh, to take leisure travel. I
1: can only imagine. I can only imagine. And so, you know, that suggests to me that uh, that you know the unpredictable path out of this pandemic uh, probably indicates uh, a a future rife with volatility um, in in the the air travel market um, uh, and in terms of uh, in terms of uh, pricing. So uh, it's a almost an ideal time, one would think, to be launching a tool for people to control their revenue. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. exactly. That, that was the, you know, the original vision uh, of uh, Matt and Elise, uh, uh, my colleagues from, from Airbus. That was their original vision, was to uh, provide airlines with tools to manage their revenue volatility. Well, yeah, as you say, um, that, that, that is going to be tested in the next 12 months, uh, without a doubt.
1: Excellent. And I'm I'm looking forward to that. This is a, a very, very exciting new set of indices, a, a very exciting new instrument, um, and backed by a, a formidable uh, corporate name. So, uh, so I have no doubt that we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the coming months. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for uh, appearing on the podcast today.
2: Uh, thank you very much for ha- having it, us. It's uh, been a
0: pleasure. Well, and that means we've got something to uh, propose to John B to hedge the company (laughs) summer holidays for the next five years.
1: Exactly.
0: So no excuse for not having one, John, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) But uh, moving forward, yes, thank you very much, uh, Mark, for coming to present that about the uh, Air Passenger Index. And uh, we, uh, along with I'm sure many other people, hope that this uh, develops further into the future and we have a really well-traded derivatives and index base market uh, going forward. But uh, thank you for exploring something new, definitely new for for myself and I'm sure new for a lot of the listeners as well. So uh, for everyone listening, uh, do join us again next week for our, our regular market updates. And uh, if you have missed any of the previous ones, we have had a special with our CEO, John B, talking about the freight market and the incredible volumes and volatility that we've had so far in 2021. Uh, previous to that was cobalt special now we're providing one about air passenger index so a real variety of things to get your teeth stuck into there But um, do join us again next week and again thank you to our special guest